Psalm 33. And the scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death. And to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him. Because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us. According as we hope in thee. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. For his name's sake. This morning I want us to think. On the words of verse 18. Where it says. Behold the eye of the Lord is upon them. That fear him. Upon them that hope in his mercy. I want us to think this morning. For our short time. On what I'm calling the eye of God. The eye of God. Before we go further. Let's just ask him to bless his word. Father, now we would pray that you will allow the word of God to be that which is used by the Spirit in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us. We pray that you'll gather us around your feet. We pray, O God, that you will allow our hearts to be opened and our minds to be made quickened, that we might understand, that we might heed, 
and that we might find our way in the will of God. We pray that you will now bless us, meet with us, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The imagery that our text offers to us is very easy to get grasp and understand. The statement that is made makes it clear that the Lord's undivided attention is on us as his people. He is not only aware of our lives and situations, but he is involved with all that meets us in sovereignty and in mercy. Well, the psalm that we read this morning begins with a general call to the saints of the Lord to praise and worship the Lord. The call does not immediately tell us that our praise is required because the Lord is worthy. That is perhaps presupposed. But we are told that praise is comely for the people of God. Well, that would simply say that when we praise the Lord, we are engaging in that which reflects the grace and mercies of God that we have known in the very best light for all to see. It is appropriate that we praise God, but it's also beautiful. In fact, this simple truth may be a drawing of the picture of the eternal activity of the saints and that their praise will be unspeakably beautiful before the eyes of the heavenly hosts in that day that we are standing in the courts of our God. Perhaps the comeliness is also that which proves that praise and worship is beautiful to the eyes of God, as suggested in verse 5, where it says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. Well, at the end of verse 5, we are also told that the earth is full of his goodness. More exactly, the mercy of the Lord. If you have a marginal reading, the point opens then into a recounting of the works and power of God from that point on throughout the psalm. But when we get to verse 13, the psalm begins to change the focus from the general dealings of God with creation to a very pointed narrowing in on how God considers and cares for his people. We, here we have a call for us to consider the Lord our God on his throne, beholding that which is done among men. In other words, our God's eyes behold and his heart considers. But when we get to our text, verse 18, the whole subject is refined down into the most precious gold. Here the statement is that the eye of the Lord is upon his chosen people. He looks. He beholds. He determines. And then he decrees their good. Now I would suggest this morning that there's a very special treasure for the people of the Lord in this simple statement. There is much manna to be feasted upon. And like that which was in the wilderness, it's easy to see and it's easy to pick up. So I would suggest to you this as our subject, that the eye of God upon his people 
is a statement of determination, of security, and of unhinderable intent. Now, I know unhinderable is not a word, but you understand what I'm saying by that. And as is our course have over the years, you understand I make up words, but if they're understood, then they are a word. Unhinderable intent. What God means to do cannot be hindered. Well, we would have to ask the question then at this point, what's the meaning of this picture? The eye of the Lord, the eye of God upon his people. What does the eye of God suggest? Can we describe the effect of the eye of God on his Well, we will try to answer these questions by asking ourselves, how can we describe the eye of God or how can we discern it? So I want us to think upon the most obvious of descriptions about the eye of God first. And see if this doesn't teach us what we're trying to see. First, I want you to see this. That his is an all-knowing eye. His is an all-knowing eye. Now this may seem to be about as obvious a point as it's possible to make. We know well the truth. That our God sees and knows all that is. Indeed, such is the meaning of the verse which we started our service with this morning from the book of Hebrews. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Our God's eyes see things in an all-knowing fashion. Now, there's an application that we can make to this, and it's a twofold application. First, I would have you understand that this simply means that there, it is true that there is nothing, nothing that can be hid from the eye of God. Nothing can be hid from the eye of God. We cannot conceal from him what may easily be hid from the eyes of men. He sees all. That's the first application of this truth. But further and secondly, what God beholds, he understands to the fullest degree. What God beholds, he understands to the fullest degree. Not only does he see everything, but he understands everything. In other words, there is no such thing as a mystery to God. There is nothing that baffles or confuses him. He knows the reasons for all that is. Now, when you step back and you look at that, you have to say, well, you know, that really is a great comfort. We, uh, being what we are, seldom understand or know why we face what we do. Why our circumstances, why our situations with you the way it is? We don't know. Even further, we have no real idea what to do about what we find before us. And this truth is extremely disconcerting. We can't see, we can't know, we have no indication of what we're supposed to do with what we have around us. Now let me make a statement here. That 
inadequacy in us is in reality the bed in which unbelief lies. Because of this, we are those who are so prone to unbelief because we cannot see and we do not know. In other words, we find ourselves asking over and over again, well, what's going to happen? What's all this going to lead to? You know, we quote Romans 8 and 28, and we rest in it because we believe that God is in control. And we know that all things shall work together for good. But do we understand that this control is founded on his knowing all that there is to the matters that we face? How is it truth that all things are going to work together? The reason is because God sees all and he understands all and he is in perfect control. There is nothing to him that is hidden. You might ask, well, can you define that? First, the faltering state of our hearts and the hearts of those with, that we have to deal with. Our hearts are not a mystery to him. What's going on in us is not a mystery. It's a mystery to you. Whether you, you, think, you may think you understand yourself and you've got everything all figured out with regard to yourself. I'm here to tell you you don't. The heart is deceitful above all things. He that trusteth in his heart is a says. You don't understand your heart. Neither can you know it. But the Lord does. He understands us. He sees us. He knows all about our hearts. Further, second, he knows the outcome. And how that outcome fits with his plan that will allow us the greatest sort of praise both now and eternally. The Lord knows how this is working. There's Romans 8. He knows how all this fits together. He knows what this is doing in the framework of his plan. Not just for us, but for the glory of Christ. And third, the Lord knows what he expects. And that with which he is pleased. There is no surprising him with unknown delights or even unknown failures to disappoint him. And I'm just going to say that this particular truth, that we don't know, we don't understand what we see, what is around us, and the fact that this is something that we can't see what to do about it, is for the child of God the battleground of faith. It is the battleground of faith. Let me just mention this to you. Faith's challenge is, does the Lord really know what's going on here? I don't know what's going on here. I can't discern it. I can't begin to even figure this thing out. What's going to happen? Now, does the Lord really understand? You say, is that something that men have questioned? Oh, do you not remember the incident on the stormy sea? The disciples come to the sleeping uh, Lord Jesus in the back of the ship and he says Lord carest thou not that we perish number one were they understanding what was really going on no did they understand the intent of God were they thinking about what God was going to do with Christ and with them no they didn't have any understanding at all but their question was Lord you don't know either do you 
You don't know what's going on here. No, that's not the truth. Here is the battleground of faith. The Lord has to, after he rebukes the wind, rebuke them. And questions them, say, how is it that you have no faith? You say, well, that was just an isolated incident. No, 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 no. I think that if you look through scripture, whenever there is a battle of faith, this is the same issue. The Israelites at the shore of the Red Sea, seeing Pharaoh and his army, marching after them, lift their voices to Moses. It would have been better if we had died in Egypt than to be brought up in the wilderness. Well, does God really understand what's going on? I say this is a common, and this is an ongoing thing that you and I will have to wrestle with. But the point of it is, the thing that we need to keep in our minds is that our God in seeing, his eye is an all-knowing eye. That it not only sees and understands, but it is that which is the hope of his people. You know, in regard to this, Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now let me mention to you this. Saying this, that if you are going to come to God, you have to believe that God exists and that he rewards faith. You must come to God and believe that he is, and I put in parentheses as an insert, he is God. You must believe that he is God. You must believe indeed that he is as he says he is. Believe in who the Lord is and the rewarder of them that deliver him. So, the eye of God is that it is an all-knowing eye. The second thing, his is an omnidirectional eye. An omnidirectional eye. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. At this point, we might say that we have another very obvious truth. The Lord our God is omnipresent, and because he is omnipresent, he sees all things that are going on in all directions. Well, here's a great truth. But there is a sense to these words not seem uh, so on the surface. I want us to see that the directions in which God sees is not only on the horizontal, that is, what's transpiring in this world, but the direction in which God sees is also internal versus external. He sees what's going on in this external world, this is a very great comfort. He is not blind to the affairs of men. But as all things are open and naked before his eyes, we have to say that he's the internal heart as plainly as the outward. Samuel makes this comment when he is come to the place where he has gathered together the sons of Jesse the Lord telling him that one of Jesse's sons would indeed be king in place of Saul. 
course, all these are gathered and they bring them each before and the first looks wonderful and the second just as good and so on down through. And yet Samuel says, these are not the ones that God has chosen. And you almost think that there would be those who would be standing by saying, how can that be? These guys, these sons of Jesse are just about as good looking a group of guys as you can imagine. Surely one of them. But Samuel made the the statement. But the Lord looketh on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Now, he looks on the heart as it is. You say, what, what do you mean? The heart that is deceitful above all things is no mystery to God. It is to us. We don't even know our own hearts. We can't discern our own hearts, but the Lord can. It's all open before him. And how to deal with that heart is also no mystery. It's no hidden riddle to God. Also, let me say this, by way of being omnidirectional. The Lord looks in the direction that is woven by time. He sees the past with absolute clarity. By the way, you and I do not. We think we do. We think we remember all things that are in the past very clearly, but we don't. He further sees what lies ahead with no shades or shadows to cloud. It is open and it is plainly lit. You know, sometimes we ask the question, what will my past do to me? Or we ask this, what does my future hold? I can't see it and I'm afraid. My point is simply this. Our God, the eye of our God, sees. And he knows how to deal with both the past and the future. I hear the words of the Lord Jesus in this. You need not fear, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't worry about the past. You don't worry about the future. Your father sees it all. He sees. Well, third, his is an all caring eye. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, there's a statement made. But there you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. Well, that statement in Deuteronomy speaks of the land which the Lord has prepared for his people. But I would say this, what is said of the Lord's care of the land is another way to say that the Lord cares about that which his people will have and know. Is the Lord actively caring for me? Does Jesus care? My answer to that, his eye is on you, believer. 
Is the Lord really entering into the issues that weigh upon me? And draw away my entire emotional breath? His eyes, you believer. Bring my life to that which is needed. His eye is on you, believer. His is an all-caring eye. We might ask the question, why? Well, then that gives us another point. And that is, his is a purposeful eye. The thought here is simple. The Lord has both a purpose and a plan for the child of God. Again, Romans 8 and 28. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. The purpose of God not requires the eye of the Lord to remain on those that he has called, as we just read. But it means that his whole mind and heart on the uttermost fulfilling of his purposed good. God has a purpose and he is now concentrating, if you will, with all the infinite powers of an infinite mind on bringing that to pass. His eye is a purposeful eye. He is ever watching to ensure that the purposed graces are applied and applied successfully. He that hath begun a good work and you shall perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. God has a purpose for you. You are called of God. Therefore, all these things will work together for good. Why? Because the Lord's attention is on the fulfillment of what he has said. Well, fifth, his is an ever-seeing eye. Well, here is a simply a point to note. I'm not going to make much out of this, but simply say this. The eye of the Lord is never lifted from the saint. Psalm 121, verse 3. You know these verses. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. What does that mean? Simply this, that every step, every breath, every thought, every prayer is seen and heard, not in part, but to the fullest extent that an infinitely capable eye is one whose eye is ever seeing. It is a constant thing. A couple more quick things and we're done. This is a father's eye. His is a father's eye. You know, a father views his children with a different eye than he sees other people's children. A father, looking at his own children, has an intense love that causes his eye to look at them in a very special way. There is constant consideration. As the scripture tells us, there's a constant pitying of your own child. And there's a constant hoping for the good and happiness of your child. Some are better at showing that than others. But that is a father's way There's also in a father's eye uh, a noticing of things that are unacceptable that others may not notice quite so quickly. I would suggest to you that we are viewed 
by God completely with a father's heart. We are not just as other men in this world if we belong to Christ. He looks at us with a father's eye. These are my children. These are those that I cherish. Well, last. His is a pure eye. His is a pure eye. His is an eye that is pure. It does not behold in any fashion that is not utterly pure. In other words, there is no falsehood in God. There is no malice in God. There is nothing that is of guile or insincerity in God. All that is our God is pure and his eye is pure. You know this pure eye is that which looked upon the Lord Jesus and viewed him with such delight for he saw in him all things. They caused him to exclaim from heaven more than once. This is my beloved son in whom I am I'll take a step back and say, you know, there was one moment. There was one moment in which the eye of God was taken away from Christ. And that was the moment in which he was made our sin. But you know, in that very same moment, the Father's eye was fixed on us. And that forevermore. Because now at the time when Christ took our sins upon him, his righteousness was put on us. And verse 5 says what about righteousness? As the Lord loves righteousness. His is a pure eye. Well, what do we say to all this? What's the conclusion to all this? Simply, what Psalm 62 verse 8 says. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah think on that child of God bring your place bring yourself to the place where you distrust self intensely but on the other hand bring yourself to look to Jesus look to him whose eye is ever upon you for in so doing you will find yourself committing all things to him and the peace of God is that the peace of God that passes understanding shall keep your heart through Christ Jesus Here's the way to contentment, but here's the way to comfort of heart. Remembering that the eye of your God is on you in all the ways that that means for you to know a blessing. Well, may the Lord allow his word to bless our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless the word of God. Pray that you will use it. We pray that you will let it be that which is to us a light to our path, but also a light in our hearts. Lord, we pray thy blessing upon us, even as we walk before thee this day. We ask in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.